If you haven't uh, <clears throat> seen the title of the talk, it's <clears throat> excuse me, the four noble truths, taking a fresh look at an ancient teaching. Uh, <clears throat> and t tonight, I'd like to give you all a taste of that. But what would help me to be able to be more helpful? is how many of you are here for the very first time? A show of hands. Okay. Those of you who are here for the first time, how many of you are totally new to meditation? Or pretty, rather new to meditation? Show of hands. Any form. Okay, so most of you have had some experience. Okay, that's helpful. This is not a test. How many of you have not, never heard of the Four Noble Truths? We don't give you a funny hat or anything like that. Okay. Well, can I see your show of hands again? Okay. You're in big trouble. <laughs> okay. Approximately 31 years ago, Um, <clears throat> had the good fortune of, an or of having an audience with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama of Tibet. And we had an hour together uh, to just talk and exchange whatever it was we exchanged. I don't remember most of it. Uh, and if any of you have a sense of, of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, he's very informal, uh, very playful, down-to-earth, very ordinary, and very easy to be with, and it was just a joy. And then with about five or ten minutes to go, he said, do you have any questions? So the CIMC was about to start. We, we were going to start in a few months. Uh, we had all been working. This place was a wreck. It was um, leaking. Everything was falling apart. We had to dig a whole beach out of the uh, lower meditation hall and so everyone was pitching in, we really worked hard. And uh, I, I told him, yeah, I had one problem. We were gonna start, um, open this, this center, it, right in the middle of uh, Cambridge, perched between Harvard Square and Central Square. And I said, do you have a feeling for Cambridge? He said, sure. I said, you know, universities, students, all kinds of uh, professional activities going on, research. and." Uh, businesses, etc. It's a thriving place and lots of young people coming and going. Uh, and he, he looked at me and said, sure, no, no, I've been to Cambridge, I understand. So I said, well, if you look around the bulletin boards uh, of, of Cambridge, which are, were all over even then, uh, all you see are smiling faces offering something wonderful. <laughs> Tibetan faces, Korean faces, Japanese faces, Chinese faces, Burmese faces, and everyone is offering, if you, and they're displaying it through the picture, everyone is like, uh, and there were lots of different brands of, uh, of Dharma, of meditation practice, and yoga, and everything else, all the so-called uh, alternative medicines. And, um, and I said, so that people, w I said, I, what I was concerned about is that people would come to the center. Uh, there's an abundance of riches here in Cambridge, which is wonderful. But 
It's something like this. Let's see, Monday night. I think, should I do Zen? Well, let's see, should it be Korean Zen or there's Japanese Zen? I think the, uh, the, the Korean Zen is more comfortable, but the Japanese Zen, they have nice outfits. And, and uh, how about the Tibetan Buddhism? Well, there are three or four different kinds. Which kind do you like? Well, there, uh, and the name, names would be rattled off. I used to remember them. I don't anymore. Uh, and he said, with, even with Vipassana, which we're, we're teaching here at Insight Meditation, saying, do you want, there's uh, some monks uh, in the beginnings of a monastery nearby, or do you want a lay practice uh, like what we have here at CIMC? Uh, let's see, the monks have nice outfits. You guys, you just wear sweatpants and... Uh, and you're not even from Asia, what could you possibly teach us? You know, and you're from Brooklyn, and you're teaching this stuff? So I think I'll just... So, and my concern was, people would come with these the bulletin boards imprinted in their brain, and they would have so many different things. Let's see, Thursday night, I think, uh, hmm, I think that's yoga. Forget about meditation. Then again, I hear there's a talk over at MIT, there's a film going, and so I just, I just felt like, how do you? How can we keep the place? Help the place to be coherent. Uh, and he, I don't know if you've ever seen His Holiness. He, he started massaging. He said, "Hmm, hmm, 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 hmm. Oh, no problem." And he said, uh, "It's true. It's confusing." But he said, "All Buddhist schools, without exception, if it's really Buddhist teaching, they all agree on the Four Noble Truths." He says, "If you really teach the Four Noble Truths." really know it, internalize it, teach it. Uh, any other people that you're helping to become teachers, if they do it. Uh, and if you do that, that will really help uh, the, the place remain, be somewhat coherent. He said, for example, when people turn up, this came out of, then I asked him questions. He said, if people turn up, you'll see some people, they're just interested in the first noble truth which they just want to learn all the intellectual stuff about it, the doctrine, the teaching. They don't want to meditate. They don't want to do any of this stuff that the second, third, and fourth of the noble truths have are about. I uh, said, and some will be just in the fourth, but they don't have any understanding of why they're meditating. And some will be, and said, so you can get a sense when you, get, when you speak to a person, you get a sense of them and where they are, and then you can help them so it can be balanced because... These teachings have been going on for uh, 2,600 years, roughly, so more now. Um, and, it's, and it's been helpful all along. And it said, so there's no reason why it won't be helpful now. And uh, he said, if you really make that the core of the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center, that will help the center be coherent. So that's what we've done. Uh, it's not just myself, everyone who teaches here. Sometimes, uh, for example, a course was offered on the Four Noble Truths by Madeline a few days, a few weeks ago. Um, in the old day, when we first started, I was the only teacher. And so I would teach a lot of the suttas. Sutras are, are teachings, discourses of the Buddha. We don't know whether the Buddha really said it or not. I mean, some are hundreds of years old uh, after the Buddha died. Some are closer, some seem more reliable, some not, and scholars endlessly get PhDs and fight with each other over what's really Buddhism. Um, <clears throat> but he said, uh, and, the, and what I've since learned, of course, that even within 
all these different cultures, uh, their understanding of, of, of the Four Noble Truths varies somewhat. But there is an underlying notion. There's an underlying, it's a paradigm. In, and so everyone, there are translations that vary quite a bit. But if you take them all together, as I've attempted to do over the years, and I used to teach it formally, going through all four, the Eightfold Path, and so forth. But at a certain point, I've internalized it because I've been practicing for a while. And so I don't necessarily, I, don't, I haven't called it the Four Noble Truths. But when I answer questions, in effect, that's really what I'm dealing with. It's just inside me now. It's just natural. And what is it for me? For me, it's a guide to living. It's not something to be, uh, that you have to believe in. It's not a doctrine or a... a um, and the reason that this is very important is because I grew up, one stream of my education was Orthodox Judaism. And I had a lot of questions. And if I asked the rabbi or my grandfather, and I said, how come, how did the, the Red Sea, get, how did Moses have the uh, Red Sea split so that everyone could get, go to, walk to safety? And he, would, and he would give it some example, and God did this, and I would say, uh, and I'd keep the, the questioning going. And then finally, both of them, the rabbi and my grandfather, he would cut it off and he says, it says in the book, <laughs> end of discussion, finished, okay. So it also finished me off with anything that's, that where it's set. Uh, in other words, if there isn't a right to question, to reflect, to ask questions and to discuss and to, and so when I first came upon Buddha, the Buddha's teaching, and there's a sutta that to this day uh, uh, is very alive for me, um, called the Kalama Sutta, where the Buddha insists that you not take what he's teaching as just a belief, as some dogmatic assertion that if you want to do it, if you want to be a Buddhist, you have to believe in the Four Noble Truths, otherwise you're out. Uh, quite the contrary. He wanted you to, in a sense, there, uh, it's much closer to a scientific approach to the mind and how to live, a guide to living. And uh, I felt a relief. I felt, whoa. So I explored it, and one thing led to another. At the time, I was a university professor. I thought I'd probably go back. Never made it. Been there, not necessarily in this building, but I've been here for, involved in all this for about 40 years. Um, okay, so now, um, why am I ex making it explicit? Because I want to encourage people to, some of you would be helped by reading something about these, these paradigms. Or now there are some good teachers who, in, on uh, videos on, that you can get. You can Google Four Noble Truths. You'll spend your, you can get three PhDs on it. It's, and there's some very good things on it as well. Uh, why? Because I've discovered that uh, sometimes uh, people just come here and just give me, they think it's just a bag of techniques. And there's no coherent framework. That's what a paradigm is, a frame of reference that, uh, that gives it a sense of direction. It's like, it's like having a compass. It's like the North Star. Now, the Four Noble Truths, uh, and the title of it is Taking a Fresh Look at It. Why do I want to emphasize that? Uh, and tonight, I'm just going to be able to give you a few hints in the time we have together. And I also would much rather hear what's on your mind, and I'll do the, the best if I can uh, when you uh, share what's on your mind uh, for me to uh, 
see if I can relate to that and make it explicit about what we're talking about as it relates to you. Because if these, if these teachings don't help you to live your life, I would forget about it. In fact, I've read a fair number of the, and studied a fair number of the suttas. Some don't, I don't relate to at all, fine. No one relates to all of them. Um, this one is the, all of the Buddha's core teachings are in it. Uh, it's all you really need. That's all is, a lot of what I'm going to be saying, really all of it, it's just my views and opinions, right? You already understand that. Someone else might have a different way of looking at it. This, I can't help it. This is my way of looking at it. Okay, so why take a fresh look? Uh, it's always been a challenge. Uh, that is why, because the first noble truth is, and we'll get to a little bit more detail in a moment, is that there is suffering. There is suffering. Now, every human being knows that. Is there anyone who does not know what I'm talking about? Who's, who's gone through life, no matter how young you are or what age you are, who doesn't understand that there's some, something about life. We're fragile, things are uncertain, uh, things happen. Uh, that we're in plan for, we get, if nothing else, uh, we get old, we get sick, and inevitably we die. Okay, now, um, so that is uh, something that has been going on even at the time of the Buddha. We're an agrarian society, much more simple than now. People were suffering then, and they killed each other, but, you know, with swords, and, but now, uh, I would say, and I think all of us, well, maybe, I, I'm assuming this, but you might agree that we're living in a world, we're, we're we have to learn how to face a world in crisis. Wherever you look, and more and more when people come to the center, their questions are not necessarily about personal relationships with this person or that person, or whether I should go to college or just get a job or whatever. Of course, that it all whatever whatever causes suffering uh, is something that we deal with here. However, more and more there's a certain um, anguish and anxiety and, a, uh, and the society has become very, very complex. By the way, the Four Noble Truths may sound complicated. I'm just going to hint at it tonight. It's not. It's actually rather simple. And it's good that it is because our minds have become very, very complicated. And as a result, many people who come to places like this want complicated teachings and complicated methods because they feel that they're, they're deeper, more profound. Actually, what we need is more simplicity in our life. And of course, ultimately, it's inner simplicity. It's not uh, your outer act activities necessarily. Um, so the, taking a fresh look, the challenge is wherever we look, the uh, uh, global warming, the political situation in our own country, wherever you look over the world, what's going on in the Middle East, wherever you look. So uh, our home, the planet, planet Earth is endangered. That has not been true before. We've, we've uh, created such powerful science and technology at the expense of wisdom because uh, the, the Buddhist teaching is finally about it's wisdom and compassion. They're inseparable. Wisdom without compassion is not wisdom, but compassion without wisdom is also not acceptable. The Dalai Lama calls it idiot compassion. 
uh, not bad because there are a lot of people who want to do good but don't have enough uh, skill in understanding how to, how, to, how to do that and how to share that and when to do it and when not and so forth. So um, the question is, we now have a, face a challenge and there are some, there's some bright spots uh, in going, I hope uh, some, this is one of them, but they're all over the planet. Uh, things there are people who are trying to move towards sanity and who care about about life uh, because not only is there there's a concern we have power now that can destroy the whole planet long before a, a, a global warming or anything of that sort um, and you might say well the problem is nuclear weapon uh, the existence of uh, nuclear power and the dangers of war and so forth those are just symptoms now this is from from the point of view I've already started speaking about this teaching of the Four Noble Truths from the point of view uh, of of a wisdom teaching and what I know a little bit about of is the Buddha's view of wisdom from the, from that point of view uh, war is a symptom uh, the misuse of the earth is a symptom the way we treat each other are symptoms so the cause finally is in the psyche. It's our, in our inner life. That is to say, because we don't understand ourselves, this is straight Buddha Dharma. This is the Buddha's teaching. Self-wisdom begins, the, the, the root problem is ignorance, but it's not the, the amount of information you have. In other words, you could fill up the Widener library in your head, and now you don't even need to go to the Widener. You just you know, if just open your computer and you have the whole world as a library. And you can spend a lot of time, as many people do, just filling their heads with everything. Uh, my brother-in-law, I think, has four PhDs. He's a, a Google do a medical doctor, Google dentist, a Google math, you know, uh, Google uni university. And he merely knows everything. And, uh, whoa. So... Uh, <laughs> Ignorance, ignorance isn't, isn't a shortage from, from this perspective. It's not a shortage of, infor of information, even intelligent information. It's a shortage in, in knowing, it's a shortage in the art of living, in wisdom, in compassion. That's what's, that's paltry, that's been neglected. The power uh, that we're so entranced with uh, and there's not, the technology is going to roll on, so I'm not advocating, oh, just put all your little gadgets, throw them in the, uh, in the, in the uh, Charles River, and uh, just, what, go live in the woods and then grow your own food in your back. I'm not advocating that. But we do have to learn how to use technology. And it's necessary, if we're to survive as a people, we have to start understanding ourselves, because if ignorance is is the source. The ignorance here is we don't understand quite how to live. And the Buddha's message is human race, uh, he doesn't say it this way of course, I'm paraphrasing, human race, you don't, you don't seem to know how to live. You can't seem to get along with each other. You hurt yourselves even without people, just inside yourself. You suffer internally with yourself. You create aspects inside yourself that are at war with other aspects inside yourself, let alone introducing people and events and the condition of the body. Let me give you a few hints. The Four Noble Truths for me has been a very beautiful guide to living. Uh, 
but it's a paradigm. It's like it's different. It's like the difference between a map of a city and the actual city. So it's useful, but it's not to m memorize it and then make uh, fixate on the Four Noble Truths. These are a guide that help uh, are designed to help us look at ourselves and how we live. And I'll try to spell that out in a few moments a little more. I keep saying that. If I keep saying that, will you run out of time? Maybe I don't have to give this talk. <laughs> Did you get enough pictures? <laughs> let's, let's party. <laughs> okay. Um, so now the, 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 the question is, and I, I, for me, I've had experience with it thus far in life, and my question is, uh, why take a fresh look? at this ancient teaching, which at least for many people in many cultures in Asia has proven itself to help those people who do it. You have to do it, you have to practice. It doesn't, uh, okay, we'll get to that now. Okay. Um, I think it better be right now. So let's see, drop that, forget about this. Who needs that, all right. The Four Noble Truths, first of all, let's get to the title, the f uh, Four. Where do the Four come from? Um, for the most part, what most uh, scholars, and even if you read the suttas, think the model is of the ancient medicine, ancient metal, uh, med uh, model of healing, Ayurvedic medicine in India. In Ayurvedic medicine, uh, there are four, and the, the four is there's a disease, there's a cause to that disease, it can be cured, and there's a way to cure it. Okay, so that model has been taken over, and in a sense the Buddha is a, uh, a physician of the soul. There's no soul in Buddhism, but that's language that people use. It's a, it's a of the quality of our life, it's of a... Uh, he doesn't necessarily, he's not a cardiologist, but he does have, there's an affliction that we humans have that uh, goes beyond even our personality in that we don't, under, because the ignorance begets uh, mistaken ways of living. Like what's, if you probably have heard this, if you're new, you have, may not have heard it. You hear this over and over again. I, prefer, I like to call them the, the three poisons or the three toxins. There's greed, hatred, and of course confusion or ignorance. So ignorance is the root out of which they all come. Ignorance is, is saying that greed, the wanting mind, the mind that's always wanting something, got to get this, got to get that, like that, whoa, just order that, and now it, you know, with a... If a day goes by and the brown truck doesn't show up with people dropping boxes off, people, you know, there are two other condos where I live, and they're, they're uh, anyone drop off a box, you know, so including myself, I'm starting to order things, <laughs> and then I get it, you know, and then and I hear I hear some rumbling about maybe it's maybe it's arrived. I like green tea. Has it arrived for? Has a Chinese green tea arrived, or maybe the Korean tea? Has that arrived? And I go out. And it was just some kids playing. Oh, and you're disappointed. Uh, and it, and you, the way, now you can order it, and then you pay by credit card. It's as if you're not even paying. It's as if it's all free. And a new form of uh, wanting, and you feel great for about 
20 minutes when the package finally arrives with your name on it and not the other people who live in the second and third floor. Oh, it isn't for X or Y, it's for me. Oh, and then you joyfully open it up and there it is, this wonderful green tea that you want. And then you make the green tea and then 20 minutes later, you got, now what do I want? You know, you gotta find something else. So it's not uh, the, the aspiration to bring good things into your life is when it becomes a compulsion and then we get attached to it and out of control. So there's the wanting mind, it's often called greed. I don't like that term because it, it's a bit moralistic. In other words, the mind that's endlessly wanting something. It's sort of never satisfied. Gimme, gimme, I've got to get. Or the other, is the affliction, the aversive mind, just the opposite. Get rid of that, kill this, I don't want that, you're no good, it's no good. So there's greed, hatred, and then there's the confusion or ignorance or delusion or illusion that it all, ignorant, that it all comes out of, the soil which it comes out of. So the Four Noble Truths, uh, in the, the first Noble Truth is in a way, we could spend the whole evening on the first because it's so, everything is in it. Once you start practicing, you'll see that the Four Noble Truths, including the Eightfold Path, it's really, they all come together and there's a simultaneity of it. They, they work together. But to begin with, it's helpful to lay them out and then to understand uh, the factors uh, that are contributing to helping us get free. They're designed to help us get free. Of what? free from the ways in which we make ourselves suffering. The first noble truth, um, noble. The Chinese have a term for it, which I prefer to, to the word noble, the four wonderful truths. In other words, it, to me, it's a beautiful teaching because it has really helped me for so many years, uh, especially it's just become like breathing for me. Uh, it, it's a guide to living where you, it, you're not helpless. Okay, but so the the um, but let's if we leave it at four noble truths, that's mainly what you're going to read if you see different translations. It's not that you, that su and the, fir the first noble truth is there is suffering in life, dukkha. There is uh, uncertainty. All the different ways in which the, again the Chinese call it bitterness. When there's dukkha, there's bitterness. When there's happiness, it's sweet. So suffering is bitter. Happiness is sweet. Um, and everyone knows this. We all know it. But the way in which it's phrased, oh, just, if you're just suffering, does that make you noble? Does that, so obviously the Four Noble Truths do not mean just that uh, you're noble by suffering because they're most, much of the human race are suffering and it isn't ennobling. What it is referring to is by facing the noble truth that you're suffering and getting to know it and understand it, to see it, to allow it to be known and to go into it and understand it and then get free of it. Uh, you, it's a willingness to enter into that world which most of us don't want to really face. And that is what is ennobling. It's the, the, the freedom that comes from facing yourself as you are. Um, okay, so the four noble truths, or the four wonderful truths, um, 
it, it's phrased, there is suffering, there is dukkha. I prefer that term because if, if you have time, you can uh, Google Four Noble Truths and there'll be, you'll see uh, there's some nice books out and nice, uh, nice uh, uh, t uh, videos on it. Uh, you see there are many nuances that uh, qualify here. It's not just torment or very dramatic suffering. It can be very, very subtle. In fact, as, the, as you more and more get to know yourself, you see subtle ways in which you contribute to making your life difficult. Now, uh, and what is asked of us is to recognize, uh, what, the, what the Buddha in this te these teachings is asking of us is to recognize dukkha if it's there. In other words, it's not, some people think one of the popes, two or three generations of popes ago, Three, maybe it's the third generation, I don't know when, but not the present pope. He, he felt Buddhism was just very negative. It's all about suffering. No, just the opposite. That's the whole point. It's not about pessimism. It's also not about optimism. It's about realism. It's saying that we humans suffer, and it's also saying it's not hopeless. It's, that is, here is a way, there are techniques and methods and there, uh, you, and you, if you've been coming here, you know there are ways of working with meditation. Just us being together here helps, because most of us don't want to hear about this, or to begin with, at least we don't want to learn how to actually be with the energy, the raw, naked energy of what we call dukkha. And often, having company helps, and it's been for thousands of years having the company of other people who also recognize this and although our the content of our dukkha may be different we're the same we're all we're all humans and doing it together there's a kind of collective energy that's very can be very very helpful as and then there are all these techniques and methods that you know you probably read about mindfulness is central to it so um where, but what it says is there is dukkha, there is suffering. It's not saying it's my suffering, I am suffering. It's saying it exists, there is suffering. It's very different. Can you hear the difference? It's saying there is suffering, it's here. Rather than if you identify with it and you make yourself into a suffering person and here in teaching these things for all these years, here's the hard, hard part for me because I know that that's the core of Vipassana, is the clear seeing into what, what we're talking about right now. And people don't want to do that. And I'm not saying uh, with any exception, I didn't. And I'm fortunate that I had some really generous, wonderful teachers in Asia who helped me to look at it and to understand that it was necessary and beautiful to do it. Actually, a wonderful thing. That's why it's a wonderful truth. Because unless you face where you're in bondage, where you're imprisoned, how are you ever going to get free? Are you going to pray to the Buddha and then, then what? Something will drop down and you'll be okay? It doesn't work that way. So um, part of the difficulty of teaching this, and, and I, I say it not as if I'm on Mount Olympus, I say it as somebody who's also had to work with these in myself, and sometimes still do, is that um, we don't want to. We don't want to. Uh, it, when, when there's certain kinds of suffering, uh, some of it is what they call the unconscious. It's, but we don't want to face certain things because it's about ourselves. And so 
and it's about ourselves in ways that are not flattering or in ways that don't fit our conclusion or image of who we think we are, emphasize think. Um, and so what are ways in which we skirt, that we avoid powerful ways, powerfully conditioned ways in which we avoid opening up and becoming intimate with anything in life, including this uh, dukkha? Uh, one is we spend our time blaming the people who make you if it wasn't for my son-in-law I'd be a happy person uh, look now maybe your son-in-law has a lot of flaws but that's you have to work with yourself you know, because from this point of view that's where you start it doesn't mean you you then absolve your son-in-law if, if there's a problem with it you have son-in-laws okay. <laughs> You know, you pick out whoever you want, but the point is, it's much easier. It's much easier to find flaws in others than in ourselves. Much easier, and we're good at it. Just turn the news on. That's dramas and films and novels, and it's all about suffering. The great, you know, I, I, I used to love Russian literature, Dostoevsky, and some of the great Russian writers. They were brilliant in explicating suffering, but it never gave you any way of going beyond it. It was just brilliant, beautifully written, ex helping you understand, yes, we're all suffering, and then some philosophic reflections on it. Uh, the first thing I ever came and started to read about, well, it started with the Greeks, with Socrates, Know Thyself. That was freshman year in college. I never recovered from that one. I, I learned that that was the most important thing in life. But I learned, I spent years learning everything but that. Because that, you know, where are you going to get a job? What's your job going to be? I just want to know myself. <laughs> okay. Uh, there are, you know, go to the unemployment office and fill out a form. Uh, okay. So part of the problem is how to help people take a look at the fact that there, that there is suffering. And there are methods even to help them see avoidance. If you, for example, uh, when you start to be mindful of your life, of your inner life, as it happens, you can start to see how you actually have these brilliant escape hatches, brilliant networks of way in which we avoid uh, coming to terms with ourselves. Postponement, blaming other people, uh, filling ourselves up with activities, with entertainment, with lots of things. You're too busy to know that, to let yourself know what you're really intimately, internally experiencing. And does it work? It doesn't. Otherwise, would we all be here? I don't think so. So this is a little by little. And then also there are methods. But you see, in order to do it, the mind has got to be strong enough, steady enough, clear enough so that when some of the stuff that's in us is painful and is difficult to look at, wounds that we've suffered since childhood, losses that we've had that are excru excruciatingly painful. So without training, it's probably a rare mind that is able to become aware and in, in, the, in, the, in this sutra, the Four Noble Truths, become aware of the experience, the energy of that dukkha without being for or against it, just to allow it to, that energy to express itself and to, it's not detachment as many people think. Detachment is, is again a struggle. Attachment is one struggle and you hold on to it and you keep suffering of course. 
stick your hold on to a hot coal, let it go. No, I don't want to. Okay, keep suffering. Eventually you do. But that one's easier, actually, than what we hold on to for our whole life. It can happen, as you probably know. And detachment is sort of a struggle as well, a more subtle one where you pull back and sort of look at your suffering from Mount Olympus, you know, down there. And what the Buddha was teaching about was non-attachment. It's an opening up to allowing what's happening to enter and to be able to become intimate with it without grasping and without pushing away. That's a skill. And it's a sk- that's, the, that's the art of, of observation. That's a skill that can be learned like any other skill. Is it easy? No, but there are a lot of things that maybe everyone in this hall has learned. Uh, you learned some things that are not, were not easy, but you did them anyway, and then you eventually you were able to do it. Okay, so um, we have meditation methods which calm the mind, steady the mind, and as I mentioned, the collective energy of the group, and there are other things tonight, we'll just leave it at that, which can enable the mind to be fit, to be able to see into itself. And so that when some of these states that we don't want to be there turn up, uh, we can, we're, the, the mind is steady enough to meet it and to receive it on its own terms. And we can come face to face with who? With ourselves. We have, we're learning how to, how to meet ourselves. Now, are others to some degree contributing to our suffering? Of course they are. But if you don't take care of yourself, you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to change everyone else. Tell me, does it work? Have you found that it works? You, I don't see any hands. Okay. I haven't. Okay. So, uh, so we're, in, we're encouraged to, to know, to recognize that it's here. You're feeling it. And then there's... Uh, now, that's teaching. The, fir- the first aspect, there's a, cur- there's a kind of educational curriculum that the Buddha's putting forward. The, uh, the first phase of it is learning. But the learning is of, it, it's like it's not learning that we're familiar with. It's like words. What I'm doing tonight is that level. Concepts, knowledge, information, uh, what we've all been studying in different ways or that we've learned that's conceptual, intellectual. It could be scientific, scientific knowledge, learning about medicine, learning about science, learning about arts, learning how to cook, reading cookbooks and so forth. That's uh, intellectual. It's one level. It's useful. Okay, that's what, this, what, that's what we're doing tonight. I'm just giving you information. The second is to reflect on it. Okay, I understand the words. I can understand English. And I understood let's say what I'm saying tonight to all of you, but let's say you have, you're reading a book and you have in the composure and leisure of your own time and you and then reflect on it. That's getting a little bit closer, but it's still a kind of a sensitive use of thinking, of reflecting on it and allowing it to get in closer. And then finally, to really, um, well, th- th- what we're being encouraged is to learn it, to reflect on it, and then finally, to do it, to really allow the actual suffering, if we have it, to then enter and to be experienced. And uh, as you find out, if you find out, but you have to do it to find out, that this actually works. 
I mean, what is the, the, this new epidemic that's sweeping the planet, a good epidemic called mindfulness? Mindfulness-based stress reduction. Have any of you heard of that? It's in everything now. I just saw in the Whole Foods, a magazine, mindfulness. Wherever you, everything is mindful and people are starting to use that language and news and everything. Um, and some of that's very, very good. It's being brought into education, it's being brought into, you know, probably you all know that. Um, so there's an attempt uh, to get to know it, and then we move to the second noble truth. The second noble truth is there's a cause. So first there's a, a disease, dukkha, if we, if we use medical terms. Uh, the second noble truth is there's a cause, and we could say that's a pathogen. You know, what is it that's causing it? And sometimes what you read a lot of is uh, craving and attachment. Uh, clinging, holding on to something in a changing world, doomed. Everything is changing and not necessarily in ways in which we wish. And yet we tend to get fixated with things that we like or even that we don't like. Some people just love to suffer. Um, so that uh, is, that, so it's the same thing. Can we, uh, can we get to understand the cause of this affliction? And it, at, to begin with, of course, it's, it's now I've given it to you in thought, but it's by actually looking, and now it's, we're starting to move, I'm, I'm condensing a lot in, uh, because we don't have that much time. When you actually start looking, I mean firsthand intimate observation of your own dukkha in a given moment, it's not thinking about it, it's not explaining it, it's not analyzing it, it's just pure observation, allowing it in, and learning how to be equanimous with it. It's an art, we have to learn it. It's like anything else. And if you say, well, that sounds difficult, yeah, could be. I wouldn't make difficult or easy. It's just something that can be learned, but you gotta do it to learn it. As you start to, to get to know your way of creating this dukkha, you begin to see how you're causing it. Whereas, uh, and the, the reason I say let's take a fresh look is I honestly feel that you shouldn't take for granted that these Four Noble Truths can help us during these uh, times, facing a, a world in crisis, a planet in crisis. Uh, from, in my case, I have found that they help tremendously. In it, it did long before I, I said things like this. But uh, if you're relatively new, don't take it as a belief. Of course I'm going to tell you this on a Wednesday night. I'm in the business. I can't be trusted. If you trust me, it's your mistake. Okay, allow the words in, because there's some encouragement. It's saying, hey, it's not hopeless. There is at least something around. But look, haven't you been given hope and promises from products and uh, just get this uh, vacuum cleaner and it'll clean everything? Uh, uh, things that, so many claims, most of them are doubtful. Now and then something really works. Someone's really honest, etc. So uh, it's t it, you're here, so I assume you have some interest. Uh, take it up, because you can't, it's not a matter of agreeing or disagreeing with the teachings. It's a matter of doing it. It's a matter of putting it into practice and finding out for yourself if indeed, as you start learning about suffering and you start to see it and get to know it, you can see what's causing it. You can see that you're, you're wanting something to be a certain way and it isn't. 
and you keep over and over and over again. And I remember a um, Mullah Nasruddin, who's a Sufi, he was a wise fool. He would always do stupid things, but had wisdom packed inside of it. And one time, he's looking under, the, he's looking under, look, he keeps eating uh, red peppers, hot red peppers, and tears are coming to it. And, and he eats another red pepper, and finally someone comes up and says, Mullah, what are you doing? Why are you eating? You can't you see that uh, that it's you're, it's painful and difficult for you? And he says, "Well, I keep waiting for a sweet one." <laughs> well, he's not going to find a sweet one. Okay, so uh, it's the practice is done in the here and now, and then in that moment it's gone. And much, a lot of what we're doing is uh, the, the phrase I like is "what is." We're being we're learning how to be with what is. What is, is this. Just the way it is for right now is what is. Oop, it just left. And we think ourselves, we seem to prefer to think ourselves into what isn't. We prefer what isn't to, to what is. And it's sort of, uh, we prefer an imaginary future or we dwell on a past that's over with again and again and again. Why did my mommy drop me on my head from the cradle? Why did, you know, uh, uh, things are rotten now, but I know in four or five years when I get my then I, when I get promoted, then everything will be okay. Okay, you got you now. You did. Is it okay? It is. And or those packages that come from UPS, you know. So uh, we we'll, we learn from paying attention to our life as we live it. In a sense, life is the great master. Life is. The, what's the job of someone who's like like myself to teach you? I can't. I can't help. I can't free you. I'm working hard just to get myself free a little bit. But what I can't, and the Buddha said he couldn't do, liberate anyone. What? He said it's just a finger pointing to the moon. Let's pretend that's the moon. If you fixate on the finger, which means the Buddha or the, even these teachings, these, these sutras, these teachings, the teachers, the community, it's to help you to see the actual moon. But it's helpful that someone's pointing in that direction. It's sort of the North Star is over here, rather than you just see a, a huge ocean and you don't know where you're going. So there is help. And uh, in the Second Noble Truth, we're learning about that. So that as we begin to see the, the pathogen in, in action, so there's a disease, there's a pathogen that's caused. And then the Third Noble Truth, here comes some good, no, some good news. In case you were getting depressed by hearing all this dukkha, 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 there's cessation. Now, that's a nice, it's a very nice neutral term. You could translate it as well-being. What cessation is, is the end. They're not, look, is all of life suffering? Of course not. Are you all suffering right this moment? Some of you must be. Is anyone enjoying being here, enjoying? Is anyone enjoying the talk? You're taking a picture of, of their face if they... <laughs> what? No? Oh, that's over with. So I can just relax and just say whatever I want. Okay. Um, where are we? It's early stages of senility. Okay. What? Yes. The third noble truth is there is, uh, that's, uh, there is cessation, that's healing. In other words, the first noble truth, there's an affliction. 
The second noble truth, I'm using the Ayurvedic model, the medical model. The second is there's a pathogen, greed, hatred, and delusion, attachment, clinging, that's in a changing world. Um, and the third is there's an end to the suffering. So life isn't only suffering. There's so much beauty in life. Aren't there times when you're really happy that the suffering isn't enjoying your, the beauties of nature or enjoying a nice meal or enjoying a nice, let's say, clothing that you wear that you like? The suffering is that we cling to it, we attach to it, we make it into suffering. So there are many moments when there's great happiness in life. Uh, you're allowed to enjoy them. There's beauty. There's the beauty of people who are in your life. And... There's also suffering. The, again, the Chinese put it beautifully, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. I think everyone who is alive knows what that means. They're both true. The 10,000 joys or 10,000 sorrows. My grandmother, may she rest in peace. No, actually, my generation of Jews, when you would say that they were dead, you had, you had a whisper and say, my grandmother, may she rest in peace. I don't know why people, or if they had a disease, sort of like, she uh, died of cancer. <laughs> I don't know why they all, but they always whisper, and I say, "Why are you whispering it?" You know. Anyway, just mind your own business and go and eat some halva. All right. So um, uh, the joys in life are here too. Even now, even the most miserable times, they're difficult times. Let's say a lot is going wrong, not enough funds, you're out of work. You know, you all know there are things, your children don't behave the way you, they, they, it would be wonderful if they did, but they don't. And you have a brother-in-law who's, uh, <laughs> I made that up. Some of, some of you may find out who it is. All right. Um, so you're allowed to enjoy that. It's, uh, that isn't the problem. It isn't how many meals you have. You know, sort of. Uh, some of it is the monastic approach, where you have, let's say, in the in this tradition, the Theravadan tradition, which I trained in, in mainly in Thai Thai forest tradition, um, uh, and you had one meal a day. And you had your robes and ro a bowl, and uh, there was very little that you had. So, uh, and I remember when I first got there, someone uh, had very therapeutic sandals, you know, really wonderful arch and cushioning, and, you know, probably $8,000 from somewhere. And, one of, and the, the, the master said, get rid of those and get a flip-flops, because those are too luxurious. Okay, that's a strategy if you're a monastic existence, and you have to take whatever you're given. Okay, but we don't have that limitation. Our limita we don't have that limitation. So the suffering isn't having one meal or two meals or three meals. In learning, learning for each one of us has to learn it. Uh, how much should we eat? Are we overeating? Are we undereating? Uh, is this food contributing, let's say, if you're concerned about the health of the mind, Foods that you eat, if you start paying attention, some of the foods make the mind dull and heavy and sluggish and lethargic. Certain foods seem to incline the mind uh, to be fresh and alert and sensitive, and others agitate the mind. Now, uh, it's not that you eat your way to heaven or to liberation, but everything contributes in some way. Everything makes a contribution. And so what we're being asked is through this awareness, we have... 
we can uh, pay attention. We are allowed to enjoy certain things, but we will suffer just the way anyone else would if we don't learn how to use food, how to use sleep. Are you, how much sleep do you need? Some people sleep too much. Some people don't sleep enough. It goes on and on like that. So uh, should everyone have to be a vegetarian? I'm a vegetarian, have been for 50 years. Do I think that all of you have to be, and the whole planet has to be vegetarian? Be nice because of the planet, but it's not true because I've seen from experience there's some people who need some meat, fish, chicken, or dairy. And so you have to find what works for you. I don't think there is one diet for everyone. And so forth. Okay, so um, cessation is, in a sense, well-being. And uh, when it, so it gets deeper and deeper. There can be, some people have really deep well-being, meaning they're not suffering that much. Uh, just yesterday, I don't know if any of you have read the, uh, the writings of Ajahn Sumedho or anyone know of his work? Yeah. He's a, a, a colleague and an old and dear friend. He came over and visited. We spent the day, to, uh, no, about three or four hours together yesterday. And he's my age, and um, he seems at peace. He has many physical afflictions, cane and so forth, but there's, you could feel an inner peace. And he's been doing all this, Four Noble Truths. And it was just a joy to be with somebody who uh, knows that you, we're not helpless, that he's not helpless, that his hard work, but he's worked hard. He's a monk, and so he's lived a very astringent kind of life. But you don't, it's, that isn't what, but look, I've lived in, in monasteries with many monks, and it, putting on robes, shaving your head, having one meal a day, if that was a guarantee to, to become free, let's all run and do it. It has nothing to do with that. Some people think that slow walking is the answer because many schools of Vipassana teach slow walking. It's more spiritual. And here we do a lot of natural walking. It's not spiritual or dharmic. It's just slow. And, you know, and rapid walking is considered, oh, that's sort of very worldly or crude or coarse. It's people hurrying to get their bus. You know, say, it's not. It's just fast. Uh, the one monastery I trained in in Korea we would uh, sit for, f for 50 minutes, then someone would hit pieces of wood, and then we'd run at top speed, a very large meditation hall. We'd run at top speed around that hall, and then someone would click it again, and then we'd sit. And then <laughs> the same thing. So it's, there are so many, it's the quality of mind, the quality of heart that you bring to whatever it is that you're doing. That's what we're learning. That's what, aware, that's the heart, that's what mindfulness is, why it's so precious. And the heart of this teaching is precious, is the awareness, I like that term, awareness, and, but it, it also needs to be accompanied by an interest in learning, learning how to live. If it's true that we don't know how to live, can you acknowledge that? Are you willing to learn? Like, let's say you're learning new, new ways of cooking. We learn that, and we make mistakes. Oh, it had too much paprika, too much salt. You correct that. So we unlearn what's unskillful, and we making room to learn what is beneficial for us and for other people. That's what w the wisdom path is. Okay, so you now know that it isn't all bad news. Uh, and even if you're not a meditator, if you know that, for example, uh, the Buddha, sometimes people would be in utter despair. And no method, they couldn't do anything. And the Buddha would say, can you hear what I'm saying? 
And the person would say, yes, I can hear what you're saying. You know, there are many people who are deaf. They can hear. Take joy in the fact that you can hear and with each of the senses. So uh, we take it for granted if things are okay when we're young and everything is working. You know, we just and often abuse them. But so start to uh, take a fresh look at ordinariness. There's so much that's already here that's good that is available, that each one of us has access to. And when that changes and suddenly what appears is loneliness or fear or anger, can you be with that? Why? Because it's here. Because it's here. It's what we encounter. That's what our life is in that moment. Okay, so let's move on. We're finally getting to the four noble truths. Uh, The fourth. The fourth one is that there's a path. That means that's the medicine. There's a way, and it's the eightfold path. But it's not literally a path that you walk on, or let's put it this way, you're the path and you're walking on yourself. The path is in here, right in here. And uh, I'm going to simplify it, condense it. Basically, there are three, uh, three aspects to it. Uh, there's sila. Sila means ethical refinement. That is, you work on ways in which the way you behave is causing suffering for yourself. So, let's say lying, misusing sexual energy, uh, taking stuff in uh, through uh, eating and drinking, uh, uh, whatever it is you do, uh, that is harmful. Uh, so, uh, so, so that that kind of, we refine that. That kind of refinement is very, very important. You pay attention to how you're living and how you're affecting yourself. For example, when you lie, if you're a pathological liar, what I'm saying won't hold. I don't have a particular political person in mind. (laughs) This is a neutral statement. I just want to make that clear because I'm not political at all. Everyone is welcome here. (laughs) Okay. Glad you see that. Um, okay, where are we? <laughs> yeah, sila. So uh, the eightfold path is divided, in a sense, to three packages: uh, sila, and then uh, the, 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 uh, samadhi. Samadhi is uh, uh, well. The sila includes right speech and right livelihood. So it means, and this connects us very directly. So if you think daily life is not part of meditation, it's obvious that it is, no matter uh, whether you're a monk living in the forest or not. It, it has to do with, now, what I suggest, the way, taking a fresh look, there are ideals that are put forward in all these teachings, and spiritual scenes, Dharma scenes, are full of people whose heads are stuffed full of ideals. And you have to be careful with ideals because they're not they're non-facts. They're how you'd like to be. And then we strive for it. Uh, real, vipassana is a direct seeing. So let's say um, right speech. Rather than me give you, there are ideals for uh, listed in the ancient texts. Uh, you can read them and they're helpful. They're kind of uh, mindfulness trainings. But um, just... Take a fresh look at how you do talking. Just listen to be, In other words, in order to do that, you have to really hear what you're saying, how you're saying it, and its impact on the other person and on yourself. In order to do that, you have to 
it becomes obvious at a certain point that you have to become mindful of, of how you listen. Because uh, how you speak and how you listen are interconnected. If you're not hearing things accurately, then what comes out of your mouth is not going to be useful. So that means we're learning how we, and how do you learn? I can just tell you in, in my own case, uh, the main way I've learned how to improve my listening is not by trying to listen, you know, with veins popping out of my neck. I'm going to do really listen carefully to what my wife is saying, strain and, you know, blood pressure up, you know. Uh, it's, it's seeing how you don't listen. Uh, this is called a way of negation. That is, by seeing how you don't listen, by seeing how when you speak you cause su uh, suffering. It's not necessarily trying to always say the be a, be good or right. It's by seeing your mistakes or ways. Not even I wouldn't call them mistakes. Ways in which, in this case, with this particular person or persons, how you're listening, uh, you can see that you're not really listening. They're speaking. Uh, check yourself right now. You don't have to tell me because you might hurt my feelings. But how are you listening right now? You're saying, okay, I've read this in a book. You know, Ajahn this said that, and Ajahn. And in the meantime, you're thinking about how you're going to spend uh, t uh, tomorrow or uh, when, how the, when's the weekend or, you know, or, or you're back on your job. And, uh, and then suddenly I say something, oh, that sounds interesting, and you're back listening. So l listen to how you don't listen. And out of that grows authentic listening, not that's imposed by some ideal. I hope you all can hear that. Okay. Um, same with so that's sila is the uh, sila is ethical refinement. Then and that includes a, uh, that includes a work. What kind of livelihood do you have, and what a, what impact does it have on you and on others? So you take a fresh look. At what your work situation is, uh, and then the then the second so that seal is the first little package. The second one is samadhi, and that's the steadiness of mind and clear seeing. That has includes mindfulness. Mindfulness is the gem. Without mindfulness, the whole thing collapses, unless you really pay attention, and really d develop that quality of seeing, of listening, of attending of uh, authentic presence. None of this can work because then it just remains ideas. You have to see it in your own life as you live out your own life in a given moment. And at first that may seem stilted and joyless. It's serious work. It's also fun at the same time, particularly when you start hearing how your mind is. When you start, because mindfulness includes concentration, uh, and when you start paying attention to your mind, it's much funnier than any comic or Saturday Night Live. Uh, there, just listen to your mind sometimes. It's constantly building itself up or tearing itself down and talking with itself and fighting with itself. And uh, you just hear uh, stuff that went on. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to just let my boss have it. I've, I'm tired of being pushed around by, okay, well, how long has this been going on? 15 years. Well, when are you going to let him have it already? You know, you just start seeing what's going on, and a lot of it is hilarious, and some of it is humiliating, and your image, cherished images you have of yourself may be smashed. So then you have to see that. You have to see how you are invested in forming an image of yourself, and then you may, you may learn, if you're fortunate, 
that all notions, all conclusions, all images of yourself are suffering. So what to do? We're learning how to let go of that. And is it possible then you'll be what? An amnesiac or just wandering around? I have no images. I study Buddhism at CIMC. I don't know who I am. Uh, there's something much deeper than all these ideas about who you think you are, which are who you think you are. Who do you think you are? Anyway. Get it? Okay. Um, and then there's, okay, I think, uh, sila, samadhi, and panya. And the panya is, the, uh, is insight. I think that's all I want to cover tonight. Uh, understand that th this is a paradigm. It's a, a human, for example, um, uh, right view, which was one of the Eightfold Path, right view, is useful. Right view is seeing the four, no knowing the four noble truths as they are. I neglected to mention that one. I apologize. Uh, that means understanding it, it, but that's on one level. And then as you go deeper and deeper, your understanding can become bone deep. At which point, for example, I don't just keep putting everything I'm doing all day in little boxes. It's become internalized. But finally, right view turns out to be having no view. Now that may sound strange. But it's only when you practice that you'll find out it isn't. It's freeing yourself from all the baggage of yourself, trying to make yourself be. You've worked so hard to get this self-image of yourself, and then it's not working, and then you get a new one, or someone tells you no matter how good it is, it's going to cause suffering. And, but then you have to find out, does it? In fact, everything that I said tonight, is, is there any, does it sound plausible? If it's not plausible and you don't even want to give it a try, then... Go, then go to, to the Tibetans or you know Japanese, Korean or Vietnamese. Go somewhere and find out, find a path that you think you have a heart with that you can connect with. Okay, I'm going to leave it for tonight. Um, I think that's enough to get it started. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.